Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. What are the best quotes to learn for Pride and Prejudice for an exam? Well, I've got a list of quotes with mileage. That's quotes that I feel you can really go to town with exploring the themes and ideas that are present in them and then hopefully that you can link into contextual ideas about the time. So let's go through some of them now. Um, First one, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Now, this quote from chapter one is got to be one of the most fundamental quotes you should learn for the whole novel. It can be applied to so many themes. The theme of marriage, um, you know, the idea that a single man must want to get married. Um, The obsession with money, um, you know, the fact that he's got a fortune and of course everybody wants to marry securely for money. And the idea of men and women's roles that... Um, it's the single man who should be in want of a wife, therefore on the hunt for one, when probably ironically the reverse is true. It's the women who are desperate um, and wish they could hunt down this rare thing of a single man with a good fortune for themselves. Notice how from the first sentence of the novel, marriage is posed as the goal, but with an economic um sort of motivation rather than the motivation of love which is obviously Austin's real um, viewpoint which becomes clear as the novel progresses. So it's good to look at the first sense of the novel as being satirical talking about Austin's society and their desire for a good match for advantage but regardless of actual feelings of affection and companionship which then the novel then exposes as being inadequate. Second quote um, is about Darcy. Uh, It says, Mr Darcy may perhaps have heard of such a place as Gracechurch Street, but he would hardly think a month's ablution enough to cleanse him from its impurities were he once to enter it. Now, this comes from chapter 25 as Elizabeth is telling her aunt about um, Bingley leaving Jane and how there's no way that Bingley would ever visit Jane and nor would Mr Darcy because in their area of London which is in Cheapside they would never even want to enter a house in such a a poor area. Now this shows Elizabeth's prejudice against Darcy and his pride and it also illustrates in the time that very rigid social distinction that certain streets, certain areas of London were unfashionable and associated with um, lower social status. And therefore, um, even though the gardeners are a very respectable family, because they're in trade and they're living in Cheapside, um, Elizabeth feels that Darcy would never deem to even speak to them. And of course, she is proved wrong because later in the novel, in chapter 43, when they go to Pemberley, Darcy um, really makes a fuss of them and makes the effort to um, get to know them. That is partly because Elizabeth has brought up the topic of his pride um, in his first proposal in chapter 34. Um, But it's just an interesting quote which shows this idea of the ablution to cleanse him from its impurities. The idea it sort of morally stains him with dirt if he goes into these lower social houses. And I thought that was an interesting image that you could comment on. 
Next quote is from Wickham in chapter 15. He says of him and Darcy, We were born in the same parish, within the same park. The greatest part of our youth was passed together. Inmates of the same house, sharing the same amusements, objects of the same parental care. Now you'll notice the repetition there of the word same. And it's really interesting that, that Wickham and Darcy are a very similar age. They were brought up in the same place, but with this crucial difference of social status. So Wickham is the son of Mr. Darcy's father's steward, whereas obviously Darcy is the heir of the whole Pemberley estate. Massive gulf in social dis- social rank and social distinction between them. But we also have the contrast as the novel progresses between their moral character as well. And so we've got the fact that Wickham chooses to be a gambler, constantly in debt. Um, he tries to marry... Um, various women for their money. He tries to seduce Darcy's sister in revenge um, and obviously then eventually runs off with Lydia and is bribed by Darcy and £10,000 to marry her. There's that implicit comparison between Darcy and Wickham um, and we're encouraged to see the way that Darcy has made the right choices and what it means for Darcy with his social position to be a good man. And part of that is the fact that he's a good landlord, he's kind to the poor, he's considerate to his housekeeper, um, he's respected and admired by those who know him. Whereas Wickham is very good at appearing to be good, but actually leaves a wake of destruction wherever he goes. Next quote is from chapter 13 with Mr. Collins and his letter to Mr. Bennett. He says, I have been so fortunate as to be distinguished by the patronage of the right honourable Lady Catherine de Bourgh, whose bounty and beneficence has preferred me to the valuable rectory of this parish. Now, from the very first letter that Colin sends, it becomes clear that he's such a pompous character and he's obsessed with social status. You can see that he's so eager to name drop Lady Catherine at every opportunity. Now, with him being the rector, um, that is the the priest, the the vicar of the parish, um, it shows that his status isn't really that high, but he sort of gets the association with Lady Catherine de Bourgh, which he can't stop talking about because for poor old Collins, this is as good as it's going to get for him. And he's absolutely chuffed to be recognised by such um, such a high status um, lady. So um, what's quite funny is we find out what Lady Catherine's actually like and she's in, in, intolerable in her pride and her demanding nature. Um, but this really illustrates what Collins is, is willing to go through um, just for the fact that he gets to name drop her at every opportunity. So I li- like his elevated vocabulary, bounty and beneficence um, and his sense of self-importance there. The next one is from Chapter 8 and Miss Bingley. Um, where she's talking about what is an accomplished woman. She says, A woman must have a thorough knowledge of music, singing, drawing, dancing and the modern languages to deserve the word. Now this was something very common in Austen's day, this kind of idea of the ideal female. And they used to produce these books which um, told women all the accomplishments they were supposed to cultivate. Now, given that women didn't really have much education, they were supposed to um, make themselves busy by developing their musical talent um, and drawing skills. And all of this would be to secure a good husband. 
It's not really about developing any real intelligence um, or knowledge of the world. It's more about looking good so that you get a good marriage. So again, we can see Austen satirically um, picking apart the ideals of her society here. And Elizabeth's right comment um, that she wonders they can find any woman like this um, suggests the unrealistic nature of these social ideals. The next quote is from Collins when he proposes to Elizabeth in chapter 19. He's, he can't accept her refusal and he says, It does not appear to me that my hand is unworthy your acceptance or that the establishment I can offer would be any other than highly desirable. My situation in life, my connections with the family of de Burg, and my relationship to your own are circumstances highly in my favour. You should take it into farther consideration that in spite of your manifold attractions, it is by no means certain that another offer of marriage may ever be made you. Now, what I think is really interesting about this spiel that Collins gives Elizabeth is that his financial security means that he cannot comprehend how she would refuse him. He has no understanding of her character, no understanding of what she wants in life. Um, and really what Austin is doing here is drawing attention to the fact that many women in Elizabeth's situation would say yes to Collins, even though he is a ridiculous character. Um, he's pompous. He's got no intelligence. He says all the wrong things at the wrong time. Most women probably in light of the entail estate and the lack of security of, of Elizabeth's future, would have said yes. Austin is showing us that Elizabeth's different to most women of her society, because of course then, in the following chapters, we see Elizabeth's best friend Charlotte Lucas throw herself at Collins in desperation to secure a match for herself, um, and Collins takes the bait. So it's kind of a, a, a quote which shows the power balance which is in men's favour here, the women are very much dependent on the proposals they receive, um, but how Elizabeth tries to take control um, back for herself. Next quote is from chapter 47 and Lydia's letter to Harriet um, Forster when she elopes with Wickham. She says, you will laugh when you know where I am gone. And I cannot help laughing myself at your surprise tomorrow morning as soon as I am missed. Now, this quote really shows that Lydia has absolutely no idea what she's doing with running off with Wickham. In Austin's society, it's absolutely scandalous that she should go off with a man that she's not married to um, and permit to live with him um, when they're not actually married and really Wickham has no intention of marrying her at all. The fact that she repeats the word laugh shows that she's just having fun, she's pursuing her desires, which in Austin's moral code is not the right thing to do. According to Austin's moral code of the day, what Lydia should do is restrain herself and act in a way that is becoming to a woman with modesty and respect. And Lydia is the opposite of that. And she acts in many ways like a wild animal. She follows all her passions and um, regardless of the cost to her family. Um, and we see her as being morally reprehensible for that. Next quote is from chapter 40, when Elizabeth is explaining to Jane the true characters of Darcy and Wickham. She says, one has got all the goodness and the other all the appearance of it. I think that links nicely with the parallel of Darcy and Wickham in the novel and the idea that um, 
Darcy is the really good character, although Wickham is the one who appears to be good. Now, you could easily link this to um, the idea of false appearances, the way Wickham is very good at cultivating a social persona for himself. And in modern society, you could easily link that to things like social media, where people like to project an image of themselves that may not be true. The next quote is from Darcy's proposal in chapter 34 to Elizabeth. He says, In vain have I struggled. It will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. It's a great quote and it's got those short sentences which show Darcy's abruptness. Um, he's desperately trying to say something that is genuine, but he says it in all the wrong ways. He says he's struggled against his feelings. He says it will not do. He, he says he would rather really repress his feelings for her. And um, even in telling her that he admires and loves her, he unfortunately says a lot about his struggle against her social situation and her connections. So to link into Austin's context is vital to understand um, Darcy's position and how much higher in status he is to Elizabeth with his income of 10,000 a year from his estate and the fact that Elizabeth Bennet has virtually maybe £1,000 as a dowry when she's married and then that's pretty much it. Darcy can see this wide social gulf between them and also the lack of manners and decorum that her family show uh, mean that he feels that that gulf is almost insurpassable but he does manage to pass it just to propose to her. He does not expect her to refuse him so again Austin is showing Elizabeth going against the grain of her society to do something um, that, that she feels passionate about, which is to marry someone she loves, refusing to give in to financial pressure and social pressure otherwise. Now, we've got some uh, a quote here now from chapter 22, which is about Charlotte Lucas's decision to marry Collins. The narrative says this, Mr. Collins, to be sure, was neither sensible nor agreeable. His society was irksome and his attachment to her must be imaginary. But still, he would be her husband. Without thinking highly either of men or matrimony, marriage had always been her object. It was the only provision for well-educated young women of small fortune. Now this shows Charlotte Lucas's understanding of what Collins is really like. He's not sensible or agreeable and he's actually quite annoying. Um, she knows that he doesn't really care about her. His attachment to her must be imaginary. He made it up on the spot when he saw that she was the slightest bit interested in him. But still, Charlotte Lucas decides to marry him. Marriage has been her object, it's her goal in life, because it's the only provision for well-educated young women of, good, of small fortune. It's the only way that Charlotte can secure herself a future. At 27, she's becoming an old maid, she doesn't have any other options. So Austin makes it really clear why she marries Collins and is pointing out um, flaws in her society that Charlotte is is forced to do that. The next quote is from chapter 35 and is about Elizabeth's growing self-knowledge as she reflects on Darcy's letter after his proposal in chapter 34. It says she grew absolutely ashamed of herself. Of neither Darcy nor Wickham could she think without feeling that she had been blind, partial, prejudiced, absurd. So it shows us that Elizabeth becomes aware of her own prejudice. And that's a key point in the novel, really, where 
she realises the key things that she's got wrong about Darcy and Wickham and then she begins to redress the balance. The next quote is from Lady Catherine as she confronts Elizabeth in chapter 56 about whether she's engaged or not to Darcy, her nephew. When she refers to Elizabeth's family and her poor connections and finally refers to her sister's hushed up marriage to Wickham, she says, are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted? Talking about in her imagery, the contamination of the estate of Pemberley, if people of such low status as the son of the late Mr Darcy's steward Wickham or Lydia come to be there. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests. So if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.